I've heard you had this said over you before that you've got an anointing like David. But what he said to you, said is um, you've won some victories in private. And he's seen that. And you've got an ability to bring the presence of God by your gift. And, um, and it's not, and what he wants to say is you are anointed to lead. It might be some time before people acknowledge that, but he has acknowledged it. And to not, um, and to not look at how, uh, how old you are, how qualified other people are, but to know that he has chosen you. And also in this time, um, that you'd arise an army. And they don't have to be perfect. David's mighty men, initially, he got from the cave of Adullam. And so just to seek God, because in order to, to bring people alongside you, you're going to have to expose some of your weaknesses. But when it comes to the battle of taking the ground God has for you, they're the ones that will have your back. They're the ones that will go into enemy territory just to get your water. So um, don't be scared of being vulnerable. Don't be scared of bringing people alongside you because you'll take greater territory by doing so. So thank you. Thanks, guys. Um, so I want to share a bit of my journey tonight. Um, I'm going to be speaking about prophetic seeds and really about stewarding the prophecies that we have over us. Um, so I want to share with you about a prophetic word Jake and I were given in 2005. I can tell you it happened on the 2nd of November in 2005. How do I know that? Because I wrote it down. And I write down every word that we're given because I treasure them. I value them. You'll see later on when we look in Scripture that the Word says that the gifts are contained in those words and that we should treasure them, we should hold on to them. And why this particular word am I going to share with you? Well, because initially I didn't comprehend it. In the natural, I couldn't grab hold of it. I knew in the Spirit it was from God, but in the natural, I just yeah, I couldn't see how it would come to pass. And I still, we're still not living in the fruit of it, but I want to show you how over our journey, God has used that word to sow seeds in us, to teach us things, and how now I have faith for it. Now I can see it coming to pass when initially I couldn't comprehend it. How did I know it was from God? Well, because firstly, it was given to us by Pastor Raylene, who's a recognized prophet in our movement. I knew her personally to be accurate in her words, and it was given in the presence of others who agreed with it. It resonated in both Jake and my spirit. It was a word for both of us. And as I say, I knew in my spirit it was correct, but in the natural, I struggled with it. But as I say, 11 years later, um, I can start to, I can believe for it. So Jake and I, the context of when this word was given, we were about to embark on um, a year overseas. Part of our motive of going was for Jake to be a maxillofacial house surgeon in England so that he could determine whether or not God was calling him to, to do medicine as well and to embark on a maxillofacial career. Um, and also because we felt like God was calling us to overseas mission. So we wanted to go into the nations to be able to hear God and we really felt called by him to do that. We were in an elders meeting, actually just in the foyer really of this area, and Pastor Paul, the previous senior pastor, asked the elders to pray for us. And so it was during that time that Pastor Eileen gave us this word. Well, she gave us a bit more than this, but this part of it I want to share. It said, New Zealand will be their base. They are a gift to the nations. They will be released from their secular positions. They will know resources, authority, and provision of God. Release of millions. There's the answer to half of our purpose of going, and we haven't even left the country. New Zealand will be their base. But that's not the bit that stumped me. It was the last part, release of millions. I couldn't comprehend it. 
Now, you have to understand I don't come from money. My mum is amazing. She worked full-time. She worked really hard. She put herself through registered nursing training while we were young. She supported us. She paid the mortgage. She made sure we were provided for. All of our needs were met. She was amazing, and she still is amazing. But from a young age, I learned that if I wanted to have the clothes I liked, if I wanted to be able to participate in what my friends were doing, then I needed to work. I needed to earn money in order to do so. Now, that was actually really good for me, and I don't regret it. But unfortunately, in that process, I picked up some mindsets that aren't kingdom of God mindsets. My attitude was, I can't afford it. That was my default setting. I can't afford this. My fear of money crept in, where I felt like I had to work as much as possible, as hard as possible, in order to store away enough in case tough times came. So this was my attitude toward money. And, I, and when Raylene gave us this word, I just, reconciling where I was at with money and release of millions, I just couldn't bridge that gap. And a little caveat, we're not there yet, but as I said before, I've got faith for it. I can see how God can do it because of what he's done in the last 11 years. So immediately God started chipping away at those mindsets that were robbing me of what he wanted to bring to pass and what he still does want to bring to pass. We went to England and despite all of our good planning and our good stewardship and our time where we'd we'd been disciplined with our money, we got to the point that we were in England and Jake got paid monthly been working three weeks. I'd had a delay in starting work because of my immunisation record not meeting it through the, um, from New Zealand through all the English bureaucracy. And we didn't have enough money to pay our bills. And you've got to understand for me, like we still had other means, we could have phoned our parents, we could have used our visa card, but I didn't want to do any of that. And it wasn't so much about the fact we had nothing, it was the fear that rose in me of being in that place which I'd strived my whole life to avoid, of not having enough. And I just got to a point of just brokenness. And God said to me, do you trust me? And I'm like, I don't know. And he took me and he said, do you trust me? I can provide for your needs. And I'm like, but I don't understand where. We have spent all of our money, we've got payments going out, and how are you going to do this? He said, do you trust me? And finally, when I got to the point of surrender, that same day, a cheque arrived in the mail, which was a refund for an insurance that we paid back in New Zealand, and it was enough to cover what we needed to spend until our first paycheck came in. And I learned that God can provide for our needs. The next journey he took us on was when, in regards um, to extravagant offerings, except at the time I didn't know they were called that. We'd been taught about tithes and offerings, and that was a principle we were applying in our life. But both of us together felt convicted to give an extravagant offering back in 2009. We both got the same amount, and it was outside of what we could conceive. But we knew it was of God, so we decided to take a step of faith. We did that in like our missions pledge, which we'll be doing at the end of June. And we'd both committed together to doing this. Now, normally when we gave an offering, it was like, okay, either it's going to take that chunk of savings or I know what we can sacrifice in order to make this happen. It was well within, you know, how we could conceive. But again, God was pushing my buttons, pushing me outside of going, you don't know how I'm going to provide for this, but trust me. And so we did. We embarked on that journey. Time went on and we we did what we normally did. And I still didn't quite understand how God was going to do it, but I had that conviction that he would. 
And we got to this place where we'd bought the dental practice that we own and we'd been renovating it and um, refreshing the surgeries and everything. And dental chairs, for those in the dental world, know that they're really expensive. And so we'd um, spent quite a bit of money with a particular company and upgrading the gear that needed to be upgraded. All the while, there's this draw going on that we knew nothing about, literally. We found out three days before it was drawn about it. And we had all these vouchers stashed of the fact we'd gone in the draw because we'd spent so much with them. But really... We were like, oh, it's just like one of every of those drawers you get in the supermarket. What are the chances of actually winning? So we kind of saw the drawer. The only thing that maybe caught our attention was the prize. The prize was unusual. We were like, oh, it was gold bars. We were like, that'd be pretty cool if you won a gold bar. Um, but in our heads, we were like, oh, yeah, it's just one of those marketing campaigns. Chances of us actually winning, slim to none. Three days later, Jacob gets a phone call. We've won three gold bars. They're not as big as you imagine, but we actually get to hold them in our hands and there's $15,000 worth of gold that we win that we had no idea. We hadn't entered the drawer. Like we physically hadn't put our name in the drawer. We hadn't put the coupon into an online thing. It's just that by nature of our spending, we've gone into this drawer and God places this resource in our hands. And we went, and of course it covered the extravagant offering. And we went, well, God, you can provide extravagantly, not just for our needs when we're right on the bottom, but you can provide so that we can bless others, that we can fulfill this, and you can provide above and beyond. And we learned again, a mindset was blowing in my mind. Then, this is probably the hardest lesson I had to learn, was God had to teach me that I was the limiting factor for this word to be fulfilled. Who knows that hurt? We were at the point where um, we were in a place in Anderson's Bay. We'd, it was the first time Jake and I had ever owned. We'd done it up. We'd renovated it. And we were happy with it. But we had three children and parents that kept coming to stay. And it was all a bit cramped. Our plan was probably to buy another house at about this stage of our life. That was what we were working towards. But God impressed on upon us that we needed to move sooner than that. And he'd actually had me on a journey of being really specific in my prayer from um, Luke 11.10 in the message version. It says, be direct with God. And I'm not naturally very direct, but he said, come on, what do you want? And he asked me to list all the things I wanted in a new home. And so I had this list, I had our price bracket, and we were going looking. We found our current house, and I honestly, even though I had the list, even though God had prompted me, I was actually still amazed that all of it was there. It wasn't like we had to make some adjustments and it would come to pass. We could fulfill every single one of those things. And so we we negotiated on the house and we were all signed up for it. And I got a sick feeling when we we got phoned on the way to church, actually, um, to say that the people that we'd offered to accept the offer, and I felt sick. Now, when we first bought, when I bought our first house, I felt sick. I don't know how many people have felt like that. When you get a mortgage, you're like, for 30 years, I'm going to be paying this. Oh, this is a lot of money. Maybe it's just me. But I was like, when we first bought a home, that wasn't the same feeling. I didn't feel sick because I was like, it's a lot of money. I didn't feel sick because I was like, oh, have we done the wrong thing? Because I knew in God we'd done the right thing. What I felt sick about, you'll find out soon. I was in worship in church, and God said to me, you're the limiting factor. I was like, what? I don't want to hear that. What do you mean? And I'm about to preach. So like, I'm supposed to be in like a holy place. And God's like, you're the limiting factor. I'm like, hey. He's like, I can't release millions to you because you can't receive it. And honestly, I dropped my knees in humility because I went, God, I like my heart's desire is to come before God at the end of my life and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And to hear that I was what stood in the way of him doing what he wanted to do, 
it was like, I don't know how to describe it. I got a heavy heart. It's like a kick in the guts and I just sunk. And he said to me, the sick feeling you have about your current home is because you're worried about what people think. In your prior home, people could surmise about what wealth you had, but now it's more plain and you can't handle that. And I repented because he was right. And he said to me, I cannot release to you what I want to release to you until you're ready to receive it. And so I had to humble myself and be ready to receive it. So that was the next lesson I learned. And then God taught me to wage war with that prophetic word. We had um, last year, uh, we have a rental property, student flat. Last year it wasn't rented for an entire year. Now, those of you that have mortgages and outgoings know that's a long time to not have income coming in when outgoings are going out. But God clearly, it was by natural circumstances, long story, God clearly said to me at the start of the year, I want you to live and give the same as if it was rented. Live and give the same. And I was like, he said, the enemy's having a go, and I want you to show him that it's not going to change the way you live and give. In other words, don't let your natural circumstances define what reality you live in or the reality I'm calling you to. So I went, okay, God, we're going to live and give as if it's rented. But came so our flat, that same flat is rented for 2017. Okay, that's the kind of flat it is. And the history of the flat had never not been rented before. But we come to this time last year and even later in the year, and it's not rented again. And we're like, what? And I'm like, God, okay, for a year, we kicked the enemy in the face. We lived and gave the same. But come on, two years? Really? And I was like, this just doesn't. And I, a righteous anger arose on both Jake and I. And we're like, this is not okay. We're not okay about this. And so we asked some people around us who are great prayers to partner with us and to say, come on, we want this place rented. And they did. And what God told me in that week when we were praying is he said, go back to that prophecy. Stand on it. Claim it. Because you see, the flat not being rented stands in opposition to the release of millions. Because it's a direct attack on the resources that are coming into our hands. And so I did. I, and I started to claim. And not only did I claim financially, but I claimed to open heaven over that flat. I claimed people not coming to know God. I claimed a whole lot of things. But again, that prophetic word given to us in 2005, I waged war with last year and we won the flat got rented and as you can see we've stopped a cycle it's rented again for the following year so those prophetic words you have those seeds God's given you you can wage war with them because they're your future to claim and you can get hold of them and you can say no I will not stand here because God has promised me and you can declare what he has said of you and so finally what I want to tell you that I've learned out of this word and I'm still not living in the fruition of it, although I know I will stand before you and I'll testify to the fact that we are living in the fruition of it in the future, but is that we've learned to steward that word. You see, as I said before, I haven't come from money. I haven't even come from a Christian background. So in order for Jake and I to be ready to steward, to be entrusted with millions, and more importantly, to be ready to be entrusted with the people that those millions are resourcing us to minister to, then we need to, we need to upskill. I've got some learning to do. And so let me just share some of the ways in the last 11 years that we've upskilled ourselves. Firstly, we exposed ourselves to bigger people, people with bigger faith, who are more generous than us, who um, are more successful than us, people who we can learn from. We're continually exposing ourselves to people that make us feel small because we don't want to stay where we are. We paid a business and a personal finance mentor to teach us some of those things that we haven't necessarily been taught from a young age. Jake met weekly with another man who was incredibly wise. He was a dentist and he'd done an MBA, 
Master of Business Administration. And so Annie offered to teach Jake what he'd learned in 20 years of practice so Jake didn't make the same mistakes. Who knows, Jake took him up on that, but weekly met with him for a year. We read the book he recommended about property investment. And that book is what led us to the flat I talked about because I never would have considered that kind of property had I not changed my mindsets around property investing. Recently, I found myself saying I'd never invest in shares because I just don't understand them and I won't invest in something I don't understand. And God said, well, it's time to change that, Justine. It's time to understand shares. So Pastor Desiree and I went to a woman's wealth thing about investment and about learning about shares. Now, I haven't invested in shares yet, but God's saying to me, come on, learn. Don't say things like, I'll never do that. Start to upskill so you can, so that if I challenge you to, that you can use that to, um, to bring this word to fruition. So as I say, we haven't seen the fulfillment yet of that word, but we're treasuring it. We're watering it. We're declaring it. We're investing our own development so we're ready and prepared for God to do what only he can with it. And I'm sure, as I say, I'll stand before you and say it's been fulfilled because I know God is faithful and I've seen what he's done so far. But what about you? What words has God given you? Are you treasuring them? Are you watering the seed? Are you investing in yourself to prepare yourself so that you're ready for God to fulfill it? Turn with me to 1 Timothy 4, 14 to 15 to hear what Paul's advice was to Timothy with regards to the gift he received through prophecy. While you're finding that scripture, which is 1 Timothy 4, 14 to 15, let me tell you that Paul didn't write these words to Timothy when life was easy in a time of smooth sailing. He actually wrote to Timothy, who was a young pastor, in the middle of perhaps the greatest leadership challenge that Timothy would ever face. He was um, facing false teachers who were stirring up trouble, but these teachers weren't just anybody. They weren't people from out in the city or on the fringes of church. These were people that used to be church elders. So right in the core of church leadership. Who knows that would have been a pretty stressful time for Timothy. It's not a situation that anybody would find easy to face. What about you? What challenges are you facing? Is work easy at the moment or is it hard? Are there leadership challenges that are in front of you? Is is your team, are there things that you'd change? What about in your family? Parenting little ones, parenting teenagers, parenting um, adults who are making their own choices. Where are you at? Because this word tonight, my word to you, is not just for those that have got life in order so they can tack on this bit about their prophetic word. Some of those words you've been given, you might need to wage war with, just like I had to last year over that flat, because God has given them to you for such a purpose. So let's see what Paul said to Timothy. He said this, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Don't neglect your gift. Don't be careless with it. Don't let it wither up. It's not a coincidence that this passage comes in the same chapter where Paul talks to Timothy and he says, physical training's got some value, but godliness has value for this life and the life to come. Many of you know Jacob, my husband, is a cyclist and he competes at elite level, but he wouldn't be able to compete at an elite level if he didn't train. He may well have a natural ability. He may well be naturally suited for cycling. But if he didn't put the time, effort, hours into upskilling himself, there is no way he could compete at that level. The same with your gift. 
if you don't invest in it, if, you don't, if you're not diligent with it, if you neglect it, you cannot expect to compete in the level that God has for you. Don't neglect your gift. This is, when it comes to verse 15, it says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. This is not just be careful. It's not just, um, you know, be like put it in a little box and make sure you don't lose it. It's actually being intentional with it. It refers to like a meditative process or pondering that the Greeks did. It talks about the practice of orators or rhetoricians, like the people that used to do public speaking in those days who didn't have microphones, so they actually had to project their voice. Um, And when you read stuff about people that are gifted communicators, when you read stuff about the people that we're inspired by around the world, they imagine what it's like to preach before lots of people, to speak if they're a president before lots of people. They spend hours practicing. They go to coaches. They upskill. They go to courses. They do all sorts of things to enable them to speak in the way that we just, our jaws drop at. It's the same kind of diligence that Paul's speaking about here. The gift that God's placed on our life deserves the same kind of focus and training as what Jacob puts into his cycling because it's meant to get to that same sort of level, to our peak. So we want to invest in them. Like, as I say, we invest in our physical side and um, we want to be actively upskilling. So Jake and I are choosing to do that. We're choosing to be giving to give, we're choosing to be led in God by our business endeavors, we're choosing to place ourselves around people that are going to challenge us. The message version of verse 15 says, cultivate these things, immerse yourself in them. I actually really love the word cultivate. I'm not a particular fan of gardening myself, not very good at it, um, mainly because in Dunedin you have to do it when it's sunny and I'm like, I don't want to be in my garden when it's sunny, it doesn't happen often enough anyway. Um, But When you cultivate something, you prepare the ground, you prepare it for use, you break the soil up, or you grow or maintain something like a cell in culture. You put it on the culture to see what's going to develop. Um, You prepare your crops. It talks about fostering growth or to improve by labor, care, or study. Why do I love it? Because it highlights our responsibility. We cannot do what only God can do. But likewise, we can't sit idle on the words he's given us. I think sometimes there's this thing of, oh, you get a prophetic word and that just, that's like telling your future and you can just sit back and, God, why haven't you done it? Where are my millions? But actually, we have a responsibility with it. We have a responsibility to break up the ground. We have a responsibility to prepare ourselves. We need to tend to the seeds he has planted in our hearts. So my first point is this, cultivate the gifts and prophetic words he has given you. This isn't all that the Apostle Paul has to say to Timothy. Again, turn over to 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 to 7. This is the last book Paul wrote when he was about to be executed. Timothy was still struggling with those false teachers. And so with that in mind, let's read what he says. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is given through the laying of the ha- on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave, sorry, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The message says, keep it ablaze. New Century Vision says, let it grow like a small flame grows into a fire. If you don't believe me, or if you didn't believe me, surely you do now. We've got to cultivate the word. We've got to tend to the fire. And in Dunedin, shouldn't we know better than most that if you don't tend to a fire, it goes out, and then the house goes cold. 
If you want, the, you want it to stay alive, you want the warmth, you want the, the atmosphere, you want, the, yeah, you want it to be an environment that keeps going, you have to tend to it. You have to continue to feed it, you have to fuel it, or it's going to go cold. It's going to go out. It's, just, it's what God's saying of the gifts in our life, of what God's laid in you through the prophetic word. But really, it's actually verse 7 I want to draw your attention to. It's often quoted, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But the context of it is actually stepping out into the gift he has for us. He doesn't give us a spirit of fear in terms of stepping out for him, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And the message, it says, God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts, but bold, loving, and sensible. And to be interrupted again, Matt Bruce, I feel like God's saying, don't be shy, don't shrink back. And the natural, you might feel like stepping back, but God's saying, actually step out. Because until you step out, no one can come and follow you. But as you step out, then you'll be actually able to lead them into the territory God has. So when you feel yourself wanting to shrink out, step out, because others will come in once you do. We're supposed to step out. We're not supposed to shrink back. It says, so I ask you to make full use of the gift God gave you when I place my hands on you in the CEV. C-E-V version. Use it well. God's Spirit doesn't make cowards out of us. Their Spirit gives us power, love, and self-control. And for Gareth and Deirdre, I just feel like God's saying, take the plunge. Take the plunge, and as you do, you'll find actually there's so much joy and exhilaration. The rush you get from the jumping in God is actually going to be worth it, but you'll find the landing safe. You don't need to know if the landing's safe before you take the plunge. And the joy and the exhilaration will come in following him, that happy, scared feeling. But the promise is the landing's safe. Um, so God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He doesn't make us cowards. He doesn't make us shy. He gives us power. Now, often when I think of power, I think of strength, maybe moral power, power to do things. But actually, when you look at the root of this word, it's miraculous power. It's the power, the power and influence you get from riches and wealth. It's the power you get from a a number of people. You know how you can sway a vote if you've got enough people campaigning for it. Or it's the power that rests upon an army to take land. And so when I look at this, what the Spirit of God gives us, He's giving us power. He's saying the weight of heaven is behind us. That's the kind of power He's giving us. And then it gives us love. Now this is agape love. It's brotherly love. It's love for others. We're blessed to be a blessing. When it talks about our gift... We're not to shy away from it because others depend upon it. Others need us to go forward in that so that they can reach their destiny, so God's kingdom can advance. So don't be shy, because not only for you, but for those around you, we need you to step forward. And then finally, a sound mind or self-discipline or self-control in other translations. And I believe this is so we don't undermine the gift. Because we need to be able to have character that's going to sustain us where our gift takes us. Otherwise, all that happens is what Pastor Will talked about this morning, where someone's ministering and then a moral failure or something that's happened actually devalues everything they've done. And it's not to say we're to be perfect, but it's to say we need that self-discipline and self-control so that we don't undermine what God is doing through us. We don't undermine the miracles that are created by what's happened because of our lack of self-control. So all three are incredibly important. And so my second point is don't shrink back from the prophetic words God has given you. The weight of heaven is behind you. 
and others need you. Even if you cannot comprehend them, the words that you've been given, like I couldn't, let your spirit embrace them and allow God's spirit to teach you how to step into them. Now, sometimes you won't have the conviction I had. You know how I said Jake and I knew it resonated. We had all those other checks, like Pastor Aileen's a recognized prophet. Sometimes you'll be like, oh, well, this is left field, and even my spirit's like, mm. What I do is what Pastor Aileen taught me to do, put it on the shelf. So it's like, God, I've had this word. I'm not sure what to do with it, but I'm putting it on the shelf. Bring it back to me if it's of you. That way you're not throwing it out. You're not discarding something that might be of God, but you're also not letting it take root in case it's not of God. And it's totally okay to do that because if it's of God, he'll bring it back. So sometimes your spirit will resonate. And like me, I had to go, okay, God, I actually can't, I can't see how this is going to happen, but I know that my spirit says this is you, so I'm going to, in faith, take hold of it. But other times you'll need to let him bring it back to you or confirm it by somebody else. Take it to your group leader, your um, mentor, someone like that. But what I want to say um, is that God has, he places these seeds to bring out his destiny in us, to, to bring his glory. But we need to cultivate them and we need to step out and trust them in, him in it. And tonight, there might be some of you here that don't even know the God I've been talking about. And yet hearing about their gifts he gives and the prophecy you can receive, you are tr- intrigued. You're intrigued about the God that would do that. And I can honestly say he's like the best father you could ever imagine. In fact, actually, he's better than the best father you can imagine because he's perfect. He's God. He doesn't fail us. He doesn't make mistakes. The prophecies are only one small gift of what he gives us, what gifts our dad gives us. And the greatest is actually knowing him, knowing him personally. And it's actually the gift that cost him the most because it cost him his own son. Andrew, if I could get you guys to come back up, that'd be great. He loved us so much that he was willing to give up everything he had or everything that he held dear in his own son that we might be able to know him. What he did is he sent, as you'll hear people talk about at Easter and Christmas, he sent his son Jesus to earth to walk as a human being, to feel the pain that we bear, to feel the shame that we bear, to, to experience life as a human as a broken human amongst all the ridicule. He got ridiculed. He got crown of thorns put on him. He got treated like mud, even though he was perfect. He got treated horribly. And he did it all partly so that he might know what it's like to be human, but also because in doing so, he went to the cross and he took all of the shame, all the punishment, all the wounds that we should bear rightly for the things we've done wrong. Now, you might not have done a lot. You might have only lied, done minor things, hated sometimes in your heart. But before God, anything is enough to remove us because He's perfect. But what He said is He said, I can't bear to be separated from my kids. I can't do this. There's nothing in me that's okay with this. And so He sent Jesus so that Jesus could make a way. And so on the cross and taking all of those things upon Him, Jesus Enabled, he took the punishment and he wiped our slate clean. It's like we had a court date set and we'd done the things wrong and we were ready to go. And then on that day, Jesus turned up in our place. He took the guilty verdict. He took all the punishment and we walked away clean. But all we need to do is when we're standing at the entrance of that court is we need to let him go in before us. We need to let him take our place. 
He's done it all, but we need to allow Him the right to do it all and to say that we want to be in relationship with Him. And so I want to say tonight, if you want to know that God, if you want to know a God that loves you that much, then we want to give you the opportunity. So I ask everybody to close their eyes and to bow their heads. And if you're standing and you know that you're not perfect, and let's be honest, none of us are, and you're saying, you know, look, actually, if I was to stand before a judge to call account to my life, I'd get a, I'd get a guilty. I wouldn't be let go free, but I want to be. I want to know God. I don't want to be separated from Him. Then it's like you're standing outside that courtroom and Jesus is standing there and He's saying, come on, will you let me take your place so that we can be mates, we can do life together. I'll walk out of there and we can do this together because Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated death and He still lives today but He lives in our hearts. So if you want to let God take your place and let Him dwell in your heart, then I'd ask you to raise your hand. I'll see it. I'll acknowledge it. A couple of people are looking so that they can chat to you afterwards just so they can help you in this journey. But if that's you tonight, can you raise your hand for me? If you'd like to begin a journey of knowing God. If you'd like to accept what He's done for you, I ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. So one, two, three. Can't see anybody raising their hands. If One more chance, because God would wait. Your heart might be pounding. And I can tell you at this stage, you won't know what life with God is like, but I can tell you also you won't regret it. So one last opportunity. If you want to come to know God or you want to come back to Him, then can you raise your hand now? I'm looking around. Raise it nice and high so I can see it. Okay, if I can have everybody's eyes to me. You know, I know some of you will have had prophetic words where there are people that that God has promised you will come back to knowing Him or will come to know Him for the first time. You need to wage war with them because we need need them in the kingdom, but we we don't want them to perish. And if God's told you it's going to happen, it's going to happen, but sometimes we have to stand on those words. And so tonight, what I really felt, I want to open up the altar because it is praise, prophecy and pizza. And we want to have the opportunity for you to, to fan into flame the words that are in you, but also to receive one if you haven't. So there really are two groups of people because the enemy comes to rob us of the things that God places in us. He promises a rich and satisfying life, but the enemy wants to steal and destroy that from us. So if while I've been talking, there have been words that have come to mind, words that God placed in your heart, words that He spoke over you that you know are of God, but you know they're almost about to go out or they need to be fanned into flame that you should have tended to and you haven't and you know that you need the Spirit of God to blow on them. You need the Spirit of God to to set them alight again, set your heart ablaze about them. Then we're gonna have people up here to pray for you. We're gonna have people to prophesy and they'll stand with you and by the Spirit, they'll bring that back to life. So if there's a word in you that you need the Spirit to blow on, then I'm gonna ask you to come forward, to respond and to come forward and to allow us to pray with you. But Secondly, if you, if you, in talking about this, these prophetic seeds, you're like, there's something in me that's awoken. God's like, God's tapping on my heart. My heart is pounding. And I know that He has a seed for me. God desires to plant those seeds. And I know there are hearts of ready, that the soil is broken up and God just wants to deposit something tonight. And so we're gonna have people prophesy over you. So again, if, if everybody could stand to their feet. And then if you're in either of those two categories, if there's a word that you need us to partner with you and to allow 
allow God to, to set a light again, or if you know that there's something in you that says God's got a word for me tonight, then I ask you to come forward. Don't hesitate. Come forward now and allow us to pray with you, to, to deposit something in you from God. Don't be shy.